From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. You're about to listen to our new show, The Groundsman Conversations, which is brought to you by Sports Digiter. Sports Digiter is a cloud-based presentation platform for rights holders, agencies, and brands that brings your story to life within immersive, exciting, easy-to-create proposals and presentations. Used by more than 50% of teams in the top leagues in the US, Sports Digiter's technology enables partners to ditch PowerPoint and Keynote and create powerful presentations of their own that provide tracking analytics to help you understand the performance of your prospecting, cutting through the crowded marketplace to win business. So go to sportsdigital.com to book your demo. Welcome everybody to another edition of Are You Not Entertained? Uh, the Groundsman, uh, brought to us by our wonderful sponsors at Sports Digital. Um, today I'm with the magnificent milk tray man himself, Giles Morgan. <laughs> We can't, you can't see the listeners, but he is dressed all in black. He's got the height for it. He's got the looks for it. Uh, he just needs to get in the window and then all hell will break loose. <laughs> I've been scrabbling around trying to get through the bloody window. The uh, the milk tray man thing went very well. So I got, got my uh, zip caught on the, on the abseil wire, a bit like Boris Johnson. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about <laughs> Boris Johnson anymore. He got stuck oh. on, a, on an abseil yeah. wire and he's... How are you, Giles? How are you? Well, I, I mean, when we're recording this, we're, we've just, the UK have just uh, announced their new prime minister, I think our, was it fourth in six years or something, um, reeling a bit just from endless media, which won't stop for a while, about a country that seems to be in a certain amount of freefall. So um, that's why I wanted to dress up as James Bond to try and turn things around a bit, you know, the <laughs> Union Jack parachute and all that kind of thing. Excellent, excellent. Yes, it is crazy times. Can you tell us uh, just before, what did you do to this particular Prime Minister? Uh, we, knew, we know that Quasi was hit with a pillow. <laughs> what have you done to this one? You know what? I have never met uh, Rishi Sunak, so it may be that the country's got half a chance of things working out. <laughs> what so. a state of affairs. What a state of affairs. Anyway, anyway, uh, Captain, it's great to see you. Um, we're going to talk uh, a little bit for a couple of minutes before we bring on a guest that I think is going to be very germane to uh, what is one of my hobby horses, which is the future of tennis. But let, let's kick off. What is it that's been catching your eye? That we're not short of things, are we? You know, like you can take macro and say what the hell is happening to the whole sports industry, or you can go micro. What is it that's been bothering you? I know know a lot's been on your mind. A lot, and I think it's actually maybe a reflection, and sport is so often a reflection of the society, any society that we live in, in any country, in any region around the world. So what's happening in the UK of a a political vacuum and, and everything has probably been mirrored in many sports in the same way, where there's been... um leadership challenges uh and when i say leadership i mean vision and maybe the things that we've been talking about for four years of of change required of societal changes of consumption changing of how everybody 
exists in a modern world and we're seeing politicians yeah. living in, a, in another world, so there's a disconnect. So it's the disconnect to sport um, that hmm. has been on my mind as we talk about tennis, cricket, rugby, all of the sports that we have and, and sports that have not yet faced the hurdles yet, but they probably will. And then every now and then I get this enormous sort of G up of, um, and maybe it, in your world of, of finance, you'd call it a dead cat bounce. But there's, yeah. there, are, there are moments from time to time, like the, the, the 2020 World Cup, you know, the MCG and the game between India and Pakistan, which is always touted as the most viewed international sports event in the world in terms of, uh, in terms of viewership. I don't know who quite has that, those numbers exactly, but it's big. Was one of the most thrilling finales of a 2020 with one arguably one of the greatest batsmen in multi-form cricket, Virat Kohli, steering his side to yep. success in front of a baying crowd where there was not a ticket for love nor money in the whole of Melbourne. And that just gives you a great fillip that maybe sport will be all right until the next disaster comes along. And I'm not talking about cricket here specifically, but I get very buoyed by, you know, even on a kind of, you look at club rugby in the UK mm-hmm. and we've had a t- couple of clubs in, in a certain amount of problem, to say the least, administration. There's chat that there may be more. And yet at the same time, the mighty Harlequins, who I have a sort of loose affiliation to, go up to Sale, who've been the, the sort of form side, away. And Marcus Smith, who is their kind of mercurial fly half, has another cracking game. And the crowd is gone bonkers with his talent. And you, sport has that ability just to remind you that sport can still thrill and entertain and it's wonderful. And yet then Monday comes and it's the same old problem. So the answer in a very long way up, Rog, is... I get vexed, and I know this is what we want to talk about, particularly disruption, particularly sports that need to buck up, really buck up, because they could lose their their mandate, literally. At the mm. same time, then you're going next year, we'll probably slam, no pun intended, a, a tennis event, and there'll be the most extraordinary five-setter men's at Wimbledon next year, and the media for 25 minutes will be talking about the rebirth of tennis for now. So it, it's, yeah. that's the kind of thing. And that that is exactly the conundrum, isn't it? And, you know, if I can use the the phrase of one of our friends and colleagues, uh, Richard Gillis, you know, how much of this is polarising into big events, big eventers that kind of allude to us uh, something that is really just a mirage now? You know, if I can use an analogy, at the time that the music industry was going through everything that, that ultimately turned it upside down, one could still go to Glastonbury or go to the Albert Hall and see Eric Clapton and feel that you had a wonderful experience at the hands of the industry called music. I think that is a mirage a little bit. And, you know, I I am loathed always to to go back to my neo-libertarian market forces base case, which is, is there a business model for the current situation? If you look at golf, rugby both both forms of rugby tennis on and on you know soccer we can look at slightly differently but it's all the same all of them if you look at them pillar by pillar one could argue that the traditional structures are being knocked down by some kind of wrecking ball and yes we will get a wonderful day at lords or or at the all england club or at the british open is that really the make us feel okay or or is that just 
a mirage that is going to keep us walking to something that is not a particularly prosperous path. That that's what's in my mind. I I, I think big eventers. There's a clue in there as to what we need to do and what we mustn't be mistaken for. And talking of big events, the ultimate big event is nearly upon us, Rog, with the, the World Cup in Qatar. And you use the word mirage, which is opposite <laughs> being in Qatar. How do you think the world's biggest international sport, which clearly is in in some parts in ruder good health, you look at the EPL and, and, and there are certain, certain parts of the game that seem very strong, but we're all facing the same market forces, a change also in, in, in youth, consumption, interest, the, the, the change of format to appeal to new audiences, all the rest of it. Because football is so big, it presumably can weather more storms for now. But where do you see it, say, with a World Cup here, which many would say is arguable it's going to be the heart and soul of the, of the region compared to, say, a World Cup, say, in Germany or France or Italy or wherever. Where, where's your head? As a football man and a football expert in terms of having worked in the industry as, as you have. Mm. Where, where, where do you see that? Because the mirage, the big event that the World Cup is, does that shelter things or is it going to expose football? Well, listen, you know, I've thought about this a lot and I think sometimes life throws certain timing coincidences at you that um, are, are very ironic. I had a, an early sight into what was happening around the polarisation of football in that I worked for a small league, uh, the Scottish League particularly, and it's been 20 years, countries that are not in the big five leagues have seen the really, in many ways, tragic reality that you can't compete with people that are outpowering you. Uh, They've got more money, whether that's from TV contracts because they're a bigger TV market, or they have been bought by people that have got endless funds. So I've been railing and ranting like Don Quixote about this for best part of two decades, mostly on deaf ears, because frankly, if you're in the big five leagues, nobody cared, nobody was listening, because the world was going up and to the right, as, as you say in finance. Now we have got, as I say, this timing is rather interesting. Uh, I would juxtapose Klopp's comments around how Liverpool can't compete with a Newcastle United or a Man City. And you saw all the amazing reaction to that, including race cards being played right, left and centre. And the reason that's happening now is because it's come home to roost on England's green and pleasant lands. Uh, Up until yesterday, England and the EPL didn't need to bother because it was all wonderful, wasn't it? But now you've got the reality in England as well that there are people that are running football for some kind of sustainable business. And let's put them under the heading, uh, our American uh, cousins. And you've got people that are doing it for a completely different reason. And, and you know me, I'm not one that's going to go for the cheap sport washing line. I think it's more complex than that. I believe that the Middle Eastern petrodollar economies are desperately trying to have a vision for diversifying their economy. And sport, media and entertainment is a big part of that for them. And they are not price sensitive. So we will see very, very shortly Newcastle United being in the top four, challenging for the league, playing in green and white, as they already are in their away strip. And what we heard Jurgen Klopp say to uh, this week is going to become more and more, well, this isn't fair. 
and, and the timing is such that you know these these investors, the Middle Eastern investors, are now hosting a World Cup. They're bidding for another one after it, and I just think it's just going to shine a huge light. Today there was comments about what Mbappe is earning at PSG, and the numbers are just eye watering. So we're in an industry soccer in this case that is tearing itself apart. It hasn't been seen by England until, let's call it yesterday. It hadn't been seen by Italy, Spain and France until the day before yesterday, but it was seen by all the smaller leagues 20 years ago. And I'd like to say we're in the middle of this now. This isn't going to reverse itself. And we have, on one side, we have British worthy commentators, good people, you know, like uh, Gary Neville and you know, Keenan Maguire, who have got a great feeling for the game and believe, like you know, somebody like Grant as well, Grant Williams, uh, who believe that, you know, we need to do something to protect the fabric of the game, the football pyramid. And I just believe it's it's well-meaning, but the usual thing, fans blinded by their passion for the game. And football is no different from go- uh, tennis, uh, golf, rugby, whatever you want to call it. it major, major structural changes coming. And, you know, the World Cup, I think, is going to be a kind of like uh, ACBC moment in the life of soccer. You know, it's going to be the resetting of the calendar. Well, it's interesting that you said the you know, when you're talking about the Newcastle United and obviously that the, 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 the PIF money there. No different, really, when we talk about golf. I, I think I've said it on a previous show that I've been amused listening to PGA Tour golfers talk about things not being fair because of the money that, that live players are getting. And it's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> because it wasn't that long ago that if you were managed to get on the PGA Tour, one, you were set for life, which you are, and the pension fund at the, the PGA Tour is pretty special. And life was pretty good, and they could command some pretty high prices to turn up and play at golf tournaments. And I know that better than most in terms of the price tag. So the money is relative and it's just gone up again. As you say, if you've got very big investors, suddenly it doesn't look terribly fair to other people. And that's where we are. And you can't, you can be romantic about it, but it's not going to solve anything. As you say, the cat is out of the bag now and it's, we're, we're, we're on our way and we're in the middle of it. And we're seeing that disruption in, in, the sport we're about to talk about, I suspect as well, or sports like it. And there will yep. be others. There will be others. And if you were private equity, it's always interesting to you know, look what CVC is, an example of one, them getting involved with volleyball would have been a very similar yes. thing. They'd have looked at yes. this. You know, us British people look at volleyball and go, don't get it, not our sport. But if you live in certain countries around the world, volleyball is your religion. And therefore, it's a, with a very, very big audience and a lot of people who love it. Therefore, there's an opportunity there at a much cheaper price tag, I suspect, than uh, than at some other sports. So you're right, we're in the middle of this and the toothpaste is well out of the tube now. Yeah, and I think my theme in all of this, and I hope it doesn't come across as sneering or anything like that. I just had, I've had advantages of being in places that this has happened before. And my experience is this, is that people don't notice until the tanks are on their own front lawn. They don't notice. And all of a sudden they've arrived. It all seems as if it's come really quickly. You know, everything that's happened in 2022 to golf, to both rugby and all the ones we've said and soccer, Super League's coming again, like we said it would. You know, that's been there for ages. And to take your point at the start of the show, Giles, there's been way too many people 
in the sports industry saying, what are all you change porn merchants talking about? Because, you know, what's wrong? Uh, and, and you know, that, that almost made me like scream a little bit because I could see what was coming over the hill. And, you know, it was a little bit like I seen out of Lord of the Rings. You could see those armies coming over the hill. And you would say, look, you know, get ready for this. No, 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 we're fine. Everything's fine. Riverdale's fine, you know. And I think the one we're going to talk about today, racket sports tennis, uh, is going to be a great example of something that if you are at um, Wimbledon in summer in London, you think, what's wrong with the world? Isn't this the most wonderful sports event of all time? And I personally think that that's the Shire and it's going to get hammered by paddle and pickleball, Giles. And I just wish people would put in their their management objectives at the start of the year scenarios of what if we are really, really in trouble? And I just don't see it happening yet. No, and I think you're right. And I think as we we, we, we talk to more rights holders, um, as we will in future shows, I'm sure those are the questions you, we should be asking, which is, one of my favourite films from the 80s was was called War Games. And um, <laughs> I, I can't... I, Matthew Broderick was the young gamer. This was before gaming. He was a hacker, really. And he uh, managed to... He hacked into the uh, defence computer system of the, of the American government and managed to get, I believe, um, the US to DEFCON 2, which is one away from full nuclear war. And I, I think you're right that the early warning system that yes or no, you're not entertained, and other people have been trying to signal that DEFCON 5, which is where most of the sports industry think they are, which is passive and everything's fine, nothing to see here. I think we've gone to four to possibly three because of the acceleration that is now happening. And you're right, the early warning, if you like, or the first flyby of warning was, why is private equity suddenly piling into sport? It's not like sport was new. And yes, of course, there was technological revolution and, and the ability to aggregate data that made consumers immediately available for valuation, which is really where all of this moves to and why we bang on about fan data like we do, because it gives you a value. But it was writ large and still you have people and they know who they are if they listen to this podcast who bleat on about television audiences and bleat on about where the value is. Yeah, but they do that with a gusto that I really don't like. They do it with a sneer. Yeah. I don't mind somebody, Giles, taking the other side of the debate because it's never black and white. It's somewhere in the middle. But there's been way too many people that have looked at folk like us whether it's, you know, converts on the road to Damascus or, or believers for two two decades and, you know, look down. I, I, I would love to get in their heads now as we sit here in October 2022 and I would say, you see Liv, you see the rugby, do you at least admit that you perhaps were asleep at the wheel? Do we at least admit it now? Join us and see if we can save this rather than, you know, dig your heels in and just, you know, deny, deny until your dying breath. Because like you say, the dying breath is about in 20 minutes time. We're at like a quarter to midnight here. Well, and, Defcon and, you're, and you're right. <laughs> and you're, maybe it's Defcon too. That's that's getting into war games territory. But I think the, the, the reason for me that I get alarmed by, by the naysayers, and, and it reminds me in the early days of the advertising industry used to sneer at the sponsorship industry, right? I'm going back 
three decades. But, yeah. you know, that, that we are the incumbent. We are the powerful. We, you, you, you know nothing. And I had a chip on my shoulder from pretty much the first day I started working in sponsorship um, agency side because the advertising agency um, people were, had all the money and had all the power. It's not quite the same anymore. Um, as content has changed, and, and that's another story. But I think you're right, is that we are passionate, you and I, Grant, uh, many of our followers on, the, on, on this show, about sport and about the continuation of sport, but also, as we talk about a lot, adaptation. Because if you don't adapt, and I think I've used this line so many times before, but I'm fairly convinced that the world jousting competition circa 1545 were the and the, the field of cloth of gold in 1516 there you go Henry VIII versus Francis I of France was the big deal that was your champions league in 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 Tudor times in, in you don't see a lot of that anymore things do move on and if you don't adapt if you don't take seriously the audience change you'll be aware of who do, your audiences are let alone format let alone changing with the time you're going to die. And I always say this because people, you know, I've got young kids, as many of us do, and they sort of bore on about how boring Shakespeare is. Well, Shakespeare was an innovator. If he didn't have the word, he made it up. And he's now part of the, the lingua franca of the world. To be Same with language. Language has to keep moving forward. It doesn't say, otherwise we'd be in Chaucerian English and not understanding a lot. Innovation and moving forward is the way that sport will survive, triumph, and keep going and fill our, our hearts and souls with joy. If we keep looking back to Harry Varden or whomever, it's nice to have the museums, but please move forward. Yeah, yeah. So listen, let's take that and introduce our guest this week, the Sports Digital guest, who's somebody who, who I think is going to give us a different perspective of this. First of all, he's an American, he's a Texan. He's made a significant amount of personal wealth in the hedge fund industry. I think uh, fixed interest trading more than anything else. Ex-Goldman Sachs, which is always a proxy for mega brains. Steve Kuhn has now pretty much uh, left the world of finance and has dedicated himself to serious, serious philanthropy. What I would call a top, top guy, um, giving something back now. But more importantly, he has got involved, as so many Texans have, in the sport of pickleball. Pickleball, not to be confused with paddle, but both challengers to the existing racket sport, which is tennis. So he has set up, actually, he is one of these famous challenger leagues. He has set up a pickleball uh, league that is attracting an amazing array of investors, both from the financial world looking for return and athletes uh, themselves. I think LeBron is involved. I think Kevin Durant is involved. And, you know, he's putting that around. This is one of the things I find really interesting. He's putting all this around uh, retail locations. His one is called Dreamland, which is a little bit of a kind of uh, um, a place that you go to to hang out uh, for your leisure time. You know, we called it in the past something like the the, the role that the ten pin bowling used to have for the community. When and now it's places like Top Golf or or Dreamland, which has got mini golf, disc golf, and, and obviously pickleball courts. And I believe Giles that these people are seeing that the world of leisure is changing so dramatically and frankly quite far away from traditional sport participation 
that they are investing money in it. So I wanted to get Steve on because he's he's our kind of guest, isn't he? And ask him a little bit, why pickleball? Why has he got this passion? And what he sees for the future of the sport. So why don't we bring on Steve Kuhn, the leader of the Pickleball League. Steve Kuhn, welcome to Are You Not Entertained? Well, thank you. I'm, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. It's, it's our pleasure. And um, we can't wait to have a really good chat to you because as we've explained at the top of the show, um, we think you're involved in one of the most exciting and disruptive things that uh, can happen in the world of sport, which is what this podcast is about, which is pickleball. But before we get into that, what we like to do, Steve, to give people a context is to let them understand about you and how you got to where you are and your relationship with sport. Uh, Maybe not pickleball, just, you know, Steve growing up, uh, how you got uh, interested in this wonderful industry of ours, this wonderful sports activity and how it fitted into the rest of your life. And then we'll take it and we'll do do a deep dive into everything you're doing now. Sure. Well, uh, I've always loved sport. I, I was a, a decent tennis player in high school. I wasn't, uh, it wasn't oh. world class, not, not good enough to, to play in college, but good enough to play in high school. Uh, I'm a good, uh, I call myself a good bar level ping pong player, table tennis player. If, if you go to a bar and play, I almost always would win. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a real trained player, but, but certainly a good, a good bar level player. Uh, and I just, and I also just love sports. I love uh, game theory. Actually, I studied, uh, that's what I studied, part of economics called game theory in, in school. I love competition. I love strategy. Uh, all, all of these are things that I, 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 you know, these are my passions. Uh, you know, there's a, just like every, every sport has this obsessive, obsessive fans, uh, you know, saber metrics and baseball, you know, the money ball <laughs> books, like that was all right. Me. Wow. Uh, and, and in fact, I, I have, uh, I'm going to break new ground here. I I have a theory about a change in strategy in the the American football league, the, 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 you know, the the U S football that that would be, that would be a massive change in strategy that I've actually got some people to take, take me seriously. That would be a huge advantage for teams. So I love ideas. I love games. I love strategy. This is, this is, uh, this is the world I, I absolutely thrive in and love. So, Steve, with that, you're a, you're a deep thinker about strategy of sport. You played. I'm fascinated about the tennis, and we'll come back to tennis, particularly in the pickle, tennis. particularly pickleball. But are there sports along your journey that you wish you had played that you hadn't? That you've seen when you've travelled around the world? You go with the with the brain that you clearly how your brain operates. Is there something you wish you had played? Uh, I am an oddly big fan for a person who grew up in the U.S. of cricket. Okay. Uh, oh. I've become i become an almost uh, obsessive IPL fan. Uh, oh. I love oh. I, I love 2020 cricket. I love the strategy. I love you know, just the intricacies of the complexities. Watching it with a group of like uh, Indian or Pakistani friends, yeah, it's the the level that they get obsessed with it. I, I anything like that where I see a sport where there's that level of passion, I'm immediately drawn to it. Uh, I am a, I'm also. Uh, a, a, a similarly almost obsessive snooker fan. Uh, oh, wow. I, I love I love my snooker. I, I uh, I've said it on my life uh, my life list. I have to get to the crucible for 
Well, let me, let, me, let me sort of interject We can organize there. that for you. Yeah, so there's a gentleman called Barry Hearn who has been the meister of, of, of snooker for 40 years. He and his son, Eddie, run a number of the big blue-collar sports around the world. He's been on the show not that long ago. I was with him a couple of weeks ago. Our wish is your command. We will get you there if you ever want to come because going to the snooker is like nothing else. It is a, it's an experience in Sheffield that you will you will not see again. And then at the same time, we'll need to take you to the professional darts, the PDC darts. I was, was going to say that. I, I'm dying. <laughs> That's to go him to as well. That's him yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, Tim, same guy. I, I uh, what's that, that that video? The 18 perfect darts. Yeah. That video. Nine, like, nine I, darter. I like a nine times. darter. Nine darter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's fantastic. I mean, yeah, that that would be a life changing trip to go to the Crucible or, and or see, uh, yeah, the the darts. I would that would be that would be. You'd have out. to wear fancy dress though. They like them to wear oh. fancy dress for the darts. What would you come <laughs> as if you did fancy dress at the darts at the Alley Pally in North London? <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be awesome. Uh, I've also. I'm kind of a, a strangely big fan of sumo wrestling. Uh, I've oh. been to a, a grand sumo contest in Tokyo. Uh, I, I own a, a family kind of family sports venue in Texas. Dreamland. Uh, oh, Dreamland. And we, the last two years, we've hosted the, the U.S. Sumo Wrestling Championship at Dreamland. So uh, I, I, I'm I sorry. Love- I've got to ask. I've got to ask. This is, this is fascinating. So is this is with real sumo yeah. trained wrestlers coming in or large American people having a go? Uh, they, they uh, you know, this is the qualifier for the world sumo games. So it's, wow. these are real athletes. Now, to be fair, uh, I'm going to get in trouble with the American sumo community, but uh, they, they probably wouldn't stack up super well against the, the <laughs> against the, but, but, yeah, but now now I'm in trouble. We might not but be. Might not ever host the U.S. Sumo Wrestling Champion again. I shouldn't have Steve, done that. Steve, you're a Texan. Texan, you you breed them big in Texas, don't you? Well, I mean, these are real athletes. I mean, uh, the, for the, sure, the, they absolutely let me, are. Let me try and dig myself out of the hole I, I just put myself in. These guys are real and amazing athletes. And uh, here's another thing: it's it's interesting about U.S. Sumo is they actually have weight classes, uh, unlike in Japan. And one of my my dear friends here in Austin uh, is the 185 and less champion. He's the best in the best United States, and a 185 uh, pound weight class sumo. Uh, wow. And just for fun, at the end of every meet, they have an open competition where any weight class, and he always enters it against the 400 pound guys. And every <laughs> once in a while, he gets a win, and it's like the biggest <laughs> day of his life when he can actually beat one of those guys. So it's, wow. it's fun, Steve. That is that. This is fascinating. This is why we always start with this because it gives people an idea of who 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 we're dealing with here. So what I'm picking up, um, you know, you're a disruptor, uh, in, in in every way. You 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 come out of college and you've obviously had a stellar career in finance and hedge funds at the very very top level, um, but you're also a thinker. You know, saber economics, uh, um, Moneyball, uh, different district. You know, all of that stuff together is that what has brought you today to looking at certain sports and saying things are going to change. Yeah. Or, or you know, tell us a little bit about how you know now that you're in in this part of your life and your career that you've decided to disrupt the whole ecosystem of racket sports? Because that's not a small thing. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I, I first found out about pickleball seven years ago from my nephew. 
Uh, and my nephew's a, a bit of a, he likes to tease me and likes to send me down false paths. So when he told me about the sport called pickleball, I, I literally thought he was making it up. I thought he was going to yeah. get, get, get a little giggle out of me looking for it. Uh, so I Google, you know, places to play pickleball, Austin, Texas. Uh, this was a Wednesday. I found uh, Bethany Church Gym uh, had pickleball that night. And I said, well, I'm just going to go there and observe this. I've never played. I don't own a paddle. I don't own a ball. I don't know the rules. And of course, obviously, they're not going to let me play. I don't, I don't know how to play, but I'll, I'll go watch. Uh, I walk into the Bethany Church Gym and I was welcomed like I was the prodigal son. It was, yeah, I, I think they killed the fatted calf for me. It, it was, <laughs> it, you, you, were joining, you were joining the group. You were in. You had, you had found this miracle sport that they all loved. I've never seen the passion that I saw in that sport then. Uh, and what I continue to see now, that you know, the people that play this, it's not a sport. It's, it's a mission. It's a mission to them. Why? Why yeah. is it? What, 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 what is the, um, yeah. the, the thing that gets them? Uh, so here's, here's the simplest explanation I have. Uh, and I, I think sometimes, the, yeah, what's that, the, the Occam's razor, you have to find the simplest. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, in an hour of, ta- of, of pickleball, you hit the ball 10 times as much as you hit the, the ball in an hour of tennis. And hitting the ball is fun. Everybody likes to hit the ball. So I think that's part of it. I think the fact that it's such an equalizer between ages, between genders, uh, between fitness levels, you, you can, pe- people, you'll surprise people. And uh, I, I tell people, yeah, if you had uh, yeah, eight people standing by uh, and you were going to do a draft and you could pick any four you wanted, if you, if you had eight people that wanted to play pickleball and you picked any four you wanted just by looking at them, I'm not sure you're much better than 50-50. But basically any other sport, I think if you could do that, you're, you're probably going to get it right. <laughs> it, people will surprise you for sure. And uh, I think that, that, that equal, equalizes it. It, it makes, uh, in the U.S., we have this uh, thing called Top Golf, which is kind of a yeah, version. Yeah, we know that. Yeah. It's gamified it, made it easier to play. And I said to people the first time I played pickleball, that pickleball is the tennis, what Top Golf is the golf. And what I mean by that is it took a sport that's really difficult, somewhat feels like somewhat exclusive, time-consuming, takes years to master, and put it in a form that everyone can play, even with limited golf skills, and enjoy it. That's what pickleball is to tennis. So, Steve, let me ask you, and this is something that Roger and I back and forth a lot um, between Lake Como, where he lives, and southwest London, where I do. So, welcome, Austin, Texas, into the, uh, <laughs> into the, into the, into the, into the discussion. Is... I get these sports like pickleball where effectively, you're right, tennis is a difficult game to be good at. And this is therefore participation. Golf is a heinously difficult game. Top golf makes it fun. It makes it more accessible. So someone who may not even know they've got a golf swing can come along, have a beer, have a burger, have a a swing with their friends. And lo and behold, they might even be able to connect with it. Paddle, we'll talk about differences and paddles doing a similar thing. When we think about the great sports that you talked about, the great tennis players, we've just seen the end of a, or the end, the beginning of the end of the era with 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 yep. the great players in the men's game, certainly, and golfers, where if you play golf at whatever level, and then you realise how good the great players are, you can't believe how good yep. they are. Yeah, that puts those sports on a kind of lofty pedestal of 
um, people sort of going to the cathedrals of those sports to admire the greatness. And yep. yet those sports are in a certain amount of problem, having their challenges at the moment. Yeah. Does a sport that is much easier to play and they get a bigger earlier participation quickly, can it make that jump then to create great global players that are admired in the way of the more difficult sports, if you see what I mean? Yeah. Or is it more of a participation where you build a massive engine and that's where the value is? Uh, so, so let, me, let me address the participation first. Uh, I think this is the most, I, I call this the most addictive substance uh, on the planet. Uh, uh, my, my, my joke is I call it the crack cocaine of sports because in five minutes you get addicted and it'll ruin your life. Uh, I mean, I, I mean that lovingly, pickleball. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I'm, I mean that. I mean that with all love. Uh, it becomes uh, what I tell people is I know people who have been in bowling leagues for a decade and quit. I know people who have been in yeah softball leagues or uh, yeah snooker leagues, if you will, who have quit. I don't know anybody who's got the pickleball bug who is not still playing pickleball. I just that's not an experience that I've ever. I've ever seen. And I say that to a lot of people and I'm waiting for somebody to just say, yeah, I know some guy who used to play all the time. Literally. I've never, I've never got pushback on that, which is, uh, uh, which is, which is uh, amazing. I think not only is it, is it addictive, but when it, once it sets its hook, you're, you're, you're in on it. Um, and what's, I think what's what to your question about ease of play versus uh, can we really respect the best players? it's a tricky one, but I think we have to thread the needle a little bit on this. Here's the needle you have to thread. First of all, every player who's a, so I got 3-0 player is kind of a novice. A 4-0 player is a pretty good amateur and a 5-0 player, I would say, is an expert. You're a good player. You're a very good player if you're a 5-0 player. Less than probably 3% of players are at that level. But I'll tell you, every 4-0 player can watch a 5-0 match and think, you know, on a good day, I can win that. Like it, it is, it is incredibly, you're incredibly hopeful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like the difference between me and like, uh, and, and Tiger Woods, I, I there's no, like, I, I would never confuse myself on a golf course with, with <laughs> ability. I, I might confuse myself with the ability of the best players. Like you, you know, people actually think they, they think they're better than they are. And right. they think they have hope. Uh, and I think at the same time, yeah, after you play for a little while and you get to realize kind of where you did, do fit in in the great pickleball pantheon, then you do see these amazing quality of play and, and it becomes more and more interesting to watch. So uh, I, I think it's, 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 it's easy to, to get involved. It's easy to have fun in five minutes. Um, and it's easy to fool yourself, at least for a little while that you could be one of the best. By the time you, by the time you get done being fooled by that, now you're addicted. And now, and now you want to watch the great players play and you want to see what shots they hit. So that, that's, that's, the, that's kind of the tightrope we have to walk on this. So Steve, Steve, let me follow up on that because I think Giles' question is bang on the money. You know, we have got a sports industry, not just tennis and rackets, uh, but all, all of them, that their business model is pretty well established. If we, if we simplify it, a lot of it is around television rights. Um, you mentioned the EPL uh, earlier and you see what that has done to, to cricket. I guess what Giles is saying in another way 
is there going to be a moment when the the pickleball sports TV broadcast rights are going to challenge um, tennis? And is there going to be a moment when the world champion in pickleball will have the same esteem as a Roger Federer? Uh, I, I believe the answer is yes. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I do. I think that's when you know, the, the, the measure of quality of a sport really is kind of how big is the funnel going into it of people who are exactly uh, the number of people and uh, the dedication of the people to it. So, yeah, if there's a sport where a lot of people are trying their absolute best with ridiculous amount of dedication to be the best, everyone will then have respect for that sport. And that's, that's happening more every day in pickleball. More people are playing, more people are committing more of their time to training. Uh, there weren't, three years ago, there were really very few, maybe one or two people who actually made a living from playing pickleball. Maybe they made a living that combined with some teaching. And, uh, but now there are, you know, that, that's probably close to 100. Uh, I think that, that, that will continue to grow. As that, as that funnel gets bigger, a number of people training and the, the amount of effort that they're putting is also increasing, the respect is going to go along with it. So, Steve, just give us a little history lesson for those of us who are not so um, familiar with, with pickleball. I understand your yeah. history with it. What, what, what was the, where did it start? Where, where did it come from? Give us a little bit of a, a, a sort of a, a snapshot, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, it, it was invented uh, in 1965 in a place called Bainbridge Island, which is near Seattle, uh, Seattle, Washington, in, in, in the U.S. Um, it was invented uh, by a gentleman named Joel Pritchard. Uh, we actually named our MLP trophy, trophy after him, the Pritchard Cup. Uh, and it was just invented as a place where you could, they just did it in the driveway. They just marked off some lines, they put a net, and they just experimented with the rules to try to make it fun. Uh, and they came up with this sport. And uh, that was in 1965. And the sport had kind of a, a very slow and steady kind of ascension from 1965 until about six years ago. Then, then something happened. I, I, and I can't tell you exactly what it is, but something happened where this thing went out. Do you have a theory for it, though, as, as a thinker of sport? Do, do you have a theory why, was it tennis's weakness? Was it something else that happened that, that yeah. created that acceleration? It's, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a good question. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what it was other than it, it kind of, once something hits, a, yeah, it's like a nuclear reaction. Yeah, once you get to critical mass, it, it then it then blows up. And uh, for some reason, that 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 started about six years ago. Uh, the first time I played was, like I said, like around six years ago. I told my friends the the next day after I played that someday this would be the most played sport in America. Uh, and they looked at me like I had three heads. Like I've never heard of it. It's got a dumb name. And you're telling me this is going to be the most played sport in America someday. I've said, yes, because I saw the passion of the people there. I saw that they were, you know, they were proselytizing. It was like a religion. They were, they were, going to, they were bringing in new believers. Yeah. Uh, they were very welcoming. They were very kind. Uh, and, uh, and it was fun. And I just loved it. And I, I predicted it literally the next day that someday that would be true. Uh, that, 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 that was, that sounded crazy at the time. And I, I don't think it's crazy now. I think, I actually think, Pickleball will be the most played sport in America sometime in the next year or two. I think, I think we're, we're, we're going to have that cross pretty soon. So what are the numbers currently? So the, the late, 
There's only one officially published report that kind of mentions this, and it basically said about 5 million players in, in, 20, in 2020. This was released, yeah. so it's, it's behind. And that, and that 5 million number has, has kind of stuck in like the, the ether, the, the sphere. I think it's insanely low <laughs> relative, yep. relative to reality. Uh, first of all, it's dated. Second of all, I don't, I don't fully, I don't know how they did the survey, but even at the time I thought it was too low. And I, I think there's going to be new data on this soon. And I think you're going to see the numbers are going to be. Well, yeah, and, and, and I'm, and I'm fascinated by this because we talk a lot about these disruptive sports, the fast-growing sports where appeal is rising, whether it's from new generations or, or whatever it may be. And as you, well, you won't know this. My former life was a sponsorship executive for a major international bank. So yeah. that's my thing. And I've always felt that golf never really understood the power of its own database in terms yeah. of the rich people who play golf around the world is a very powerful demographic, obviously. Yep. But no one knew who it was. I think for pickleball and these new sports coming in where there is a wave, and it's very clear there's a wave because you can see people playing all over your country in this yep. case, is this becomes a fascinating growth engine. Because if you know you've got the passion of real people, and as you say, it's a, it's a drug and people it's love drug. it, if, if that is true, and I have no reason to dissuade that, you prove that empirically, then you bring in the investors. And you've obviously put money yeah. in and other people have as well. Oh, the but investors are queuing up. I think exactly. there's 60, 60 people looking for your latest uh, front, your team and your league. Uh, they, they, you were really, really overbid. Is that not the case, Steve? We had, we had four spots. We initially had uh, uh, over 60 uh, bidders for those uh, you know, uh, people who applied for it. When we announced LeBron James as our first announcement, that number went up over 400. For, for oh my God. Uh, yeah, it, it, so, but it's music to my ears, this. I'll, I'll tell you why. That Rog and I spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of our time bemoaning the uh, historical um, structure of sports that in many cases was sort of set up at the end of the 19th, 20th century and have yeah. sort of existed. Where new sports are coming along with new structure, the ability to grow fast and the ability to embrace the audience is yeah. something that clearly historically couldn't happen before because it wasn't possible. But yeah. you're finding a lot of sports caught up in their own tradition where they don't have the ability to move forward in the way they need to, which is if you can prove how many people are playing and playing two or three yeah. times a week and where the demographics are, that suddenly becomes the most interesting piece. And with the kind of investment that you're clearly getting, yeah. which is QED, it's happening. Yeah. Your, 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 your claim is not, is not, it's not madness. Oh, it's going to happen, Giles. It's going to happen. It's, Fastest it's growing happen. sport in America. Fastest it, growing sport in America. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen around the world too. Actually, it's going to happen in Asia before Europe, though. And I'll explain. I'll explain why. Uh, a couple of reasons. Padel is amazing. I love Padel, by the way. I love watching it. I love. I like to highlight reels of Padel points. I could watch that for hours. Uh, yeah, it's amazing, beautiful sport. Uh, and Padel is doing so well throughout Europe now that that's going to certainly slow the growth of pickleball. I do think eventually, even in Europe, pickleball will probably have more players uh, because, because of accessibility, ease of play. Uh, and it's just, you know, I, I think all the factors that make it 
successful in the United States in terms of numbers will eventually happen in Europe, but it's going to take a little longer because of, because of the great, because Padel is doing so well and it's, and it's so much fun to play and watch. Uh, I think it's going to happen in Asia much faster. And there's a factor that most people don't made it fully processed for why that's going to happen in Asia faster is we're incredibly lucky that a pickleball court and a badminton court are exactly the same size. Oh, wow. Bingo. So that means every badminton court throughout Asia, you, you just take that badminton net down and put a pickup, a portable pickleball net down and you have a, you have a pickleball court. Wow. Uh, oh, wow. That will happen like that. So it's going to go big in Asia first in my view. Steve, let, let, let me let me ask you something. In this, I'm going to call the this the sponsor question. We are sponsored by Sports Digital. Um, and I want to ask you this question. Uh, I'm going to ask you to go back into your financial hedge fund uh, thinking. Yeah. And um, let's say um, the sport of tennis was currently trading at 100. Yeah. How far, how far down would you still be shorting it at? What price would it have to get to before <laughs> you started short, started? Well, it's went this way. There's a lot of people that if tennis was trading at a hundred, there are a lot of people who are, would trade pickleball relative to that at one. And I yep. think, I think they're foolish. I think that's a mistake. Uh, I, for I, sure. For sure. Uh, I, I think that's a, that would be a, a, a foolish thing to do. Um, I still think, by the way, if, if tennis is a hundred and pickleball is trading at one, you can probably still invest at, you can invest in pickleball at one right now. And I think that's a great investment. Yeah, oh, I, I that's think. no doubt. That's no doubt. But you know where I'm going with this. And I hope I'm not leading the witness. Um, there's a <laughs> lot of people that there's a big industry, the tennis industry. Uh, I personally am super short, but yeah. I, I mean, I'm not as involved in this as you are. So I, w- I want your view about like, if you are invested in, in tennis, how, how much would you be looking to hedge your position at this point? Well, yeah. No, we don't want to have a war with tennis. We want we want to have <laughs> we want to have joy across the planet. <laughs> so you you are leading the witness to a place where I know I am. I know I am. This is our podcast. A dangerous place. Uh, uh, yeah, I love tennis. I still play tennis. I play pickleball more. I will admit, uh, I still play tennis. I love watching tennis. Uh, the four majors. I'm I'm all in. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I was watching Serena. I was watching, you know, uh, I, I watched, you know, I, I watched a good amount of tennis and still care about it passionately. So, 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 so Steve, Roger is not a, 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 you can tell he's not bullish on, on, on tennis. I probably sit <laughs> somewhere more in the middle. I, I would argue that maybe squash is going to be the real victim when you look at Padel and pickleball. And badminton. In term, I think badminton still have some strength in, in Asia, but I, I'm just interested of these big, big sports like tennis and badminton, which is colossal as well. I mean, it's really colossal. Of course, if a billion people play in the Far East, that's going to take some shaking down. But I do like your idea about the court thing. That's brilliant. What is it, do you think, and just put your business head on, not your passion for the, the game of tennis. What is it you think that the game has done wrong over the last 25 years that hasn't, after all, if you grew up, I don't know what age you were at, but I grew up and in the 70s where you had the world's coolest sportsman in Bjorn Borg. You then had the most irascible sportsman in the world in McEnroe. Then you had a 17-year-old Labrador German who's now serving time in uh, Oxfordshire prison, Boris Becker. But you had extraordinary heroes <laughs> and the world was absolutely 
on fire with the sport, but had been in the Labour eras. You had events like the US Open, Wimbledon. You had the French. I don't need the history lesson of, yeah. of tennis. And you had people like Navratilova. You had Graf. You had extraordinary athletes. And yet people are nervous about its future growth or where it goes next. What have they done wrong, do you think? Okay, you, you guys are asking all the questions that get me in trouble. So, <laughs> sorry. Let me let me let me. Uh, let Come me, on, Steve. I, I will answer the question, but I, I have to insert <laughs> the following. I am deeply thankful to all the people that have built the sport, starting you know starting with the Pritch, starting in 1965. I'm deeply thankful to groups like USA Pickleball who have spread the sport to the you know tens of thousands of people who have given hundreds and thousands of hours of their life to building this sport. So. With, you know, I, I need to say that first before I talk about some things I think that do need do needed to be changed in the sport, and I, I want to show my respect to those who we stand on the shoulders of giants. So let, let me let me start with that. That being said, uh, the scoring system in pickleball is impossible to understand. Uh, it, it 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 is difficult for the people who play it to understand. Uh, it is really difficult if you're trying to bring in new audiences to the sport. When they don't understand what the when they say the score is four nine two and they say I don't understand what that means, that's not going to be a good way to, to to bring new people to the sport. We have changed the scoring system in Major League Pickleball to rally scoring. The score is four nine, and everybody knows what that means. And we played a twenty one, and you got to win by two. And it's it's much easier. We created a much easier system to understand and much easier to play, much easier to understand. I think that was something the sport uh, needed to change. I think we've changed it. I'd like to I'd like to make you know, the prediction that other players in the sport will move to that because I just think it's simply simply better and easier and better in, in, in all sorts of number of ways. Um, when when I entered pickleball as a business uh, about a little over two years ago, at that point, less than one percent of people who played pickleball had any rating at all in terms of telling them how good they were, uh, much less an accurate one. Uh, in the city of Austin, Texas, which is 2 million people, there were two rated events a year. And, and there were probably, you could sign up maybe 100, 150 people each event. So there's only 300 people a year in Austin that could actually even get a rating. Um, it was impossible to have an accurate sense of where you, where you sat. You couldn't have competitions at various levels that were fair because you'd have sandbaggers. Um, we needed to create an accurate rating system. So not only did I you know, found Major League Pickleball, but I was the founder of, of Duper, which is a dynamic universal pickleball rating system. You can download the app in just about every country these days. Uh, put your scores Love in. It. Love it. Put your Vertical scores in. integration. Uh, we have over 20 countries sending them scores, including the UK, uh, including Spain, uh, you know, Argentina, Brazil, the Philippines. Uh, and now we have, an, and because enough of those players, uh, Australia, Enough, enough uh, people from Australia have come to U.S. tournaments and then gone back that we have what we call connectivity. We have an accurate rating worldwide in, in about 20 countries right now. Uh, the sport desperately needed that because people, the, the people, the, the questions you always ask when you're new to the sport is where can I play and how can I find the right game for my level? And uh, where can I play? There were apps that helped you do that, but there weren't enough courts. We need to build more courts of the sport, so we're doing that. And then how do you play people, find people at your level? That was impossible two years ago. You could not know because yeah, people would say, I'm a 4.0, but a 4.0 in Florida was different than a 4.0 in, in, in Michigan. They were not the same thing. You, you couldn't possibly tell. And if you go to a game where you're more than 0.5 difference from the other people, it's really not that much fun for anybody. 
you, you got to have an accurate rating to have the best time. And that was what desperately needed. And we've, you know, we've, we've created that now. So that, that exists. So that's, you asked me what the, what my criticisms were. You, you see it in my work. I, I think we create a better rate, a, a better scoring system and we've created a better rating system. Those are two really important things. Okay. So what you're really saying, cause you're not going to say it, but I can, is that if you were a tennis player, and you played around the world, it was not joined up in terms, yes, there was world rankings, obviously, for yeah. the very best players. But uh, and the ability, there's nothing more lonely than playing tennis against someone who's a little bit better than you. Well, or, or, or you know, it's not, it's really generally not that fun for either one of you to be. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a 4-0 tennis player playing a 3-0, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of misery for you both. But also having the vertical integration rating system allows you also to have dialogue with your fan, which now means you've got a very, very powerful ability to communicate with your global audience. Yeah. And hmm. you know, I see where you're going. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you see the bigger, you see the bigger players. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, Steve, let, 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 let me ask you something here, uh, which is um, around, I mean, let's, re let's replay what we've heard from you so far. You get introduced to pickleball, what, six, seven years ago, um, just before it explodes. Let's say that's just coincidence. Let's say that's not down to you. But you get introduced uh, seven years ago. You like the sport. Uh, you get addicted almost immediately. But it's clear that you find that you've got issues with it, the scoring system and everything you said in the last couple of minutes. So here's the thing that I want people to, to listen to the playback here. You then set up your own pickleball league yeah. you and you change the formats and you change the rules and the scoring system um, we in sport in europe certainly have real issues with that we in the main do not like challenger leagues whether it's in rugby or swimming or certainly in soccer um how do you look on, you said it also one day get to Europe. How much do you think the cultural difference with European sport is always going to be a block for a challenger sport like yourself? It, it's a good question. Uh, it, it, I think the jury's still out on that, to be to be fair. By the way, there's there's so much about sports in the UK that I love. Uh, I, I got to tell you all, all the things that I, I, will, I love. All right. Yeah. Some of these things, when I tell you how much I love them, you'll, you'll say, this is, that's such a small thing, but it's, 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 it, I, I, I love these things. Uh, in the, uh, if there's a, a football match in the UK, yeah, if, uh, my, I'm an Arsenal fan, by the way. Oh, and, if, and if uh, uh, Arsenal's on, on the road and they win against uh, you know, Brentford, let's say they win against Brentford, uh, the score is reported 0-2. Yeah. And you know that the road team won. Because it's zero two, they didn't. You didn't lose the information. In America, they always say the score, the winning team first with a higher score than the losing. So you don't know whether the whether yeah, it was zero Brentford zero Arsenal two. You didn't lose information in the United States. They report the score Arsenal one two zero. Wait, were they were they home or a road? You, you don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it drives me crazy. That we haven't figured. Yeah, give us some other examples of those quirky things. I love promotion and relegation. Oh, I, I love uh -huh. it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, there's a there's a scandal right now in the NBA about teams trying to lose games to get this tanking. Get, yeah. Uh, to, to try and get the best draft pick. Yeah. What a, what a what a crazy system. 
<laughs> okay, okay, listen. And love um, promotion and relegation. So much better. No, 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 no. Since you got on a subject that I don't like, let's move away from that immediately <laughs> and, and, and talk about one of the ones that I, the ones that I do like. And um, I am a quick learner, so I'm now going to pronounce it Padel. Um, if you look at the politics now inflicting Padel and the com- uh, competing governing bodies suing each other, yeah. Can can I ask you, Steve? Is that in your future that kind of nonsense? I hope not. I hope not. Uh, I I will. Uh, I, I try to keep my eyes on the North Star. The North Star. We set our goal, our mission statement for uh, Major League Pickleball and Duper is to expand the game, bring it to new people, bring it to new communities. Uh, Forty million players in the U.S. by 2030, uh, which would be the most played sport in America by double if we accomplish that goal. And as long as we keep our eyes on that North Star, uh, and we believe that the world is a positive sum world, that we can work together with even our competitors to, to, to raise the sport and, and, and do it better, as long as we keep true to those missions and that, 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 that viewpoint, I think we'll be, we'll be fine. Steve, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a brand, I'm a brand guy, um, yeah. and this might be a really stupid question, which is, Maybe why I'm not a great brand guy. Why is it called pickleball? Uh, boy, it's, it, by the way, it's the most painful question you ask somebody in pickleball, by the way. Uh, because Do you like the brand name? I mean, you're going to say yes. I know you are because you're being no, involved, no, but... no, 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 Well, I, I ultimately will say yes, but I will tell you, I hated it for years. I, I thought it was the worst possible name uh, and even advocated that we think about changing it until about two years ago. And then I, 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 I came to a new, I came to a new vision of it. The, yep. the reason, and here's that vision is the people that play this sport and love it. Uh, we, we, we have, we have long suffered from an inferiority complex because the first question anyone hears when they was asked, when they hear about pickleball is first of all, how did, get the, how did you get the name? And second of all, is that a real sport? Oh, that is like, yeah. Scratching on a chalkboard and getting that sound. That's what that sounds like to any pickleball player. And by the way, because of that, the community has gotten stronger. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like being bombed during the, during the blitz. You know, it brought, it brought, it brought England together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that has drawn the pickleball community together. Cause we hate that when people say that. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and you've got all these funny little names like kitchen and dink and things yeah. like that. I mean, it's an yeah. amazing community. It really is. It is, and that the name has helped build the community because it's a, it's a, it's like you going to training, you know, training camp together, or going to military training together. We've all suffered the pickleball war of explaining what why this thing is is the real sport or not. We're, we're we we've now become a band of brothers, if you will. We yeah, the name is 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 has strengthened. I get out. The zealous. I get out. Listen, Steve, one last question because we've taken up too much of your time. And it's more about where you're based, um, that wonderful state of Texas. Yeah. Um, um, and I believe you're in Austin, um, if correct. I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Austin, as we know, has exploded in every single way in the last uh, decade or so. Um, can I ask you about uh, the Austin MLS team? I believe that's Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've Obviously, you know your football. You talked about Brentford. Yeah. 
Um, how do you see the MLS and the, the need for celebrity input, like from Hollywood? We've seen Ryan Reynolds at Wrexham. Um, yeah. How do you see the the kind of like what I like to call the polarisation between Hollywood and more community art house sport? Or maybe you don't. Do you think it's all participation and the North Star is that everything can work? Uh, yeah, it, it's funny because to me, there's a lot of parallels between MLS, the early days of MLS and the early days of, of Major League Pickleball. Um, in fact, if you look at our league structure and how I've organized the teams, it's very similar to how or MLS. It is. I did notice that. It, it, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> that is not, that's absolutely not a coincidence. And I remember when MLS started, there was a lot of skepticism in the United States about whether it would, it would work, whether it would be successful or not. And I, at the time I was, I was bullish because I looked at the youth participation numbers and I said, the future the future is going to get better. It's just going to get better year after year for the MLS. As more people, as more kids play the sport, they're going to grow up and they're going to watch it. And they're going to want their kids to watch it. Um, I also think American football is probably in decline because of the, the, the concussion situation. Yep. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I think, I think that's in decline. So I, I've always been bullish, uh, bullish on MLS. And I think the idea that you know, participation eventually leads to people who want to watch it is, a, is, a, is a, a theory that I believe in. And that's happening at an accelerated pace, at an you know, exponential pace in pickleball. And so, you know, what I will say to my potential sponsors of pickleball is if you're judging the value of a pickleball sponsorship now based on last year, you're already, you're, 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 you're missing the boat. You're, you're, and you don't even know how much you're missing the boat by. You're missing it by 10x or, or 100x. Yeah, the value of what that sponsorship is going to be. And I'll tell See, you. If I wanted to buy one of your teams now in your league, what's it? What's the? What's the ticket? Uh, I try not to ballpark. answer that because I I get in trouble. Uh, it's ballpark seven figures, but not eight. How about that? Uh, and, okay. Uh, and by the way, we I think we could have sold our teams for more. We chose to create this kind of passion for it, so that we could choose amazing people who are not only giving us money but are leaning in. To build the sport, so uh, we it was. So if you think ML, yeah. if you think MLS has now got valuations of hundred times that, yeah. um, you know, I put my finance hat on. Um, this is pretty good place to be thinking about a sports sport tech investment. I, I well, your, your your mouth to investors' ears. Yeah, I I, yeah. I agree with you. Uh, yeah, I, I think. Yes. Yeah, like, let's get, Giles, let's you're, get you're not going to argue, give me to argue with that point. <laughs> Steve, listen, thank you so, so much. Um, loved, loved this interview, the energy, the enthusiasm. I think it's everything that sport needs. And it's coming from a guy like yourself. Really, really honored that you took the time to be part of Are You Not Entertained? And from myself and Giles, really, really wish you all the best of luck. And we will get you sorted out with Barry Hearn for snooker and dance. I am, I am, I am taking you up on that a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, well, one or both of you join. Oh yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. I, I, oh yeah. Don't you worry. We'll be there with, with bells on. Okay. With bells and, on. And, and I'm fully in. All right. Excited. Great stuff. Thanks, Steve. Take care, my friend. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Well, um, that was pretty interesting, Giles. <laughs> you know, I love that kind of stuff. The 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 guy that's coming from the outside and looks with fresh eyes, new energy, no sacred cows. You know, I, I know I probably exaggerate with all these um, these themes, but when I get 
when I see a guy like this, I just, like you said at the start of the show, what, what gives you a, a boost in sport when you, that's what gives me a boost in sport because that's going to be successful from every point of view. It's funny, it's, it, you, you listen to him and it's, he's energy and enthusiasm. And I suspect one of those people that many people have um, perhaps underestimated at their peril and that there is a razor-sharp brain. I mean, when we started talking about the audience and you, you, you clocked on the ratings very quickly, he's built his business model at the same time as a sport's being built. It's, it's, that's the bit that so many other sports have languished behind is they haven't connected their community to the sport and I'm wondering where their community have gone. He knows that they're running absolutely in parallel and that to me is it's refreshing because it's the, it's the age we're talking about now. You know, uh, the, the what he said at the end there, I think, is, is where my major thesis is, which is, is always about demographics linked to participation. And when I have a go at tennis, um, I, I just ask, and, and golf to a lesser extent, top golf has done something there, but, you know, it's still aging traditional golf. But what I want to say to tennis is how many people, how many kids are, first of all, able to, to start playing the game? Are, 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 I've got the, the the facilities close to home. You know, producer James here has got a pickleball court been built up his, up the up the end of his street uh, in the Cayman Islands, and like everybody knows, that's what's happening with paddle, padel, sorry, <laughs> and pickleball everywhere. And tennis, I just think, is going another direction. So I, I don't need to think about you know TV rights and audiences. I just look at demographics and participation, and there's too much friction in tennis and there's zero friction in pickleball Giles that's where my thesis come from well and let's hope he can stave that away it's, it's interesting as you said with with Padel and that's the trouble isn't it that once blazers start to get invented and hopefully he can just keep blazers away and they've got a hell of a shot of uh, of continuing on this extraordinary growth rate brilliant brilliant interview Rog well done for for bringing introducing him into the family thanks to Tom Pitts uh, uh, from Como who did that thank you Tom from Lime Rock um, it's all part of the community, all trying to get the best names to the listeners of Are You Not Entertained? So let's let's wrap it up, Captain. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, anybody who doesn't know us or doesn't uh, know the show, you can follow us uh, <laughs> uh, on Twitter. Um, uh, where, where can we follow you, Giles? Oh, you, you know I don't like this. You can do, definitely follow me <laughs> at GilesMorgan71. And you can follow me at RPM Comos in the Lake. As in the late. Rog, what fun. Enjoyed that one and looking forward very much to continuing this theme next week as well. It's on the same theme and I think it will be um, uh, something to listen to together because we're going to be talking about tennis with somebody who really, really knows the ins and outs in tennis and has got some frustrations about where the game is going. So, uh, And that's down to you. Thank you for organising that. And I'll see you very soon to do that one. Take care, Giles. Cheers now, Roger. Bye-bye.